<laughs> All right, Nico, I want to start today with uh, hearing the wonderful <laughs> voice that you displayed uh, here in the lead-up uh, today. Can you sing for Jake uh, one more time? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, this is uh, Jake's feeling, being 18 years old, young, hungry journalist, moving from the small town to the big street, to the big main streets of, of, of London. Of How, London, what, yeah, what yeah. What was yeah. the song he had in Yeah, so he, he was just walking down, uh, you know, the streets of his little village, and in his mind he was all singing like, I'm just a small town boy, <laughs> right? So just wow. starting us up a little bit. Wow, <laughs> wow, <laughs> setting the tonic. Yeah. Oh, our view account has just halved for some reason. <laughs> 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 it can only go up from here, so all good. Thank you, thank you, thank you for putting me once again on the hot seat. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm taking yeah, it, yeah. yeah, I'm the German, so all good. That's what you got to do, Nico, like, you know, when the chance comes to perform in front yeah. of an audience, yeah, 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 you know, you're going to go for it. Uh, Nico, amazing to, to have you here. Uh, Jake, nice to be with you here live and in person. We are here in the Agame Next, or ne rather, Next Oteo studio. Uh, here, I still got to get, get, get used to my own rebrand uh, here. But um, <laughs> fantastic, uh, guys. Uh, you know, we want to, uh, first and foremost, uh, break down Sigma a little bit uh, today. Jake, you just landed uh, here in, uh, in, uh, in Malta just now, so you haven't been to the conference uh, so far. But obviously, uh, you and me, Nico, uh, we've been spending a couple of days there. So. Just to kick things up, you know, Sigma, lots of people, any person I've spoken to in the last two days has an opinion, mm -hmm. uh, and, which is quite interesting because it's not normally what you, what you get at conferences is people wanting to talk about the conference itself. But um, what, were, what were your impressions? Uh, of uh, Sigma this year? So, uh, first of all, um, shout out to all the booth builders because the booth were quite, quite nice, nice looking, yep. uh, etc. So it was kind of, you know, like booth, which we are used to see at ICE, right? The big booths, uh, 22nd bed um, with the big LEDs, whatever. Uh, it, was, it was nice. Of course, uh, you know, hosting an event for 25,000 people uh, at a small country like Malta, um, seems to be challenging, uh, especially, you know, finding a place which can uh, cater all the people, making sure people actually arrive at the venue as well, which caused some traffic jams. Yep. Um, and funny enough, uh, like at every, you know, football stadium as well, at a certain time, everybody wants to be there. And at another certain time, everybody wants to leave. So it's not like you have a constant uh, coming in and coming out. It's just uh, you have peak times. Yep. And uh, there you could literally just see that there, are, there might be some limits due to the traffic situation all over uh, Malta, which we could um, which you could see. But, uh, you know, I don't want to get into much details as of now, but what had your experience been? You yeah, know? yeah. You know, I, it, for me, it was really interesting leading up to this, uh, mostly from an organizer perspective, the fact that uh, they were going to turn a shipyard that is built as a shipyard into a conference venue to be used for the first time as a conference, and not only a conference, but like a massive conference of, uh, of uh, that many people, as, as, you, as you just mentioned. There's always going to be a lot of unknowns as you go into something like this. And uh, I was just really curious to see how this was going to happen, if it was going to happen, because it's such a massive challenge. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of people had comments about uneven floors and uh, toilets that were perhaps not working all the time, dusty outside. There's a lot of like teething issues and uh, kind of some health and safety concerns here and there. But the fact that they were able to pull it off and actually organize this event, uh, that in its own right is such a 
a big success in comparison to these kind of teething issues and, and small problems that they that they had. But I'm pretty sure that uh, when a man goes uh, to bed uh, tonight, I think he will draw a huge sigh of relief more than anything that they actually were able to pull it off. Because again, there's so many unknowns that you don't know what's going to happen before you have that amount of people there. You know, so, so I think considering um, uh, the, the, the challenge that they had, it was uh, for sure the best that they could do with what they had. And for next year, um, I have a feeling that many of these, these teething issues are going to be uh, going to be solved, right? But there are some problems that you can't solve, which is um, the traffic, uh, of course, you know. And I, I found that quite interesting. Um, yesterday, there was uh, some of the local uh, newspapers reporting that, uh, you know, there's a gridlock uh, in Malta, and essentially everything is uh, Sigma's fault, and so on and so forth. You can't get anywhere, and it takes an hour to get from point A to point B. Um, and, uh, and yada, yada, yada. So I, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, uh, what do you think, like from Sigma's perspective, is it good or bad PR that, uh, that the, the island is being gridlocked and the traffic is, uh, it's a traffic jam and it's hard to move and people are angry at Sigma? What, what, would, you, what would you think? Like, sorry, Nick, is, is this good or bad PR for Sigma, do you think? Yeah, so first of all, um, you know, whenever a big event like this, and we should not forget, you know, Malta, has 600,000 inhabitants. So if there are 25,000 attendants uh, um, at one event, uh, it's nearly 5% of the overall population. Right. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's the one thing. So whenever a big event like this happens at a, uh, at a town, people go nuts. It was the same like the Love Parade in Berlin. It was uh, this, literally the same, if not even worse, when the Champions League final was in, in Munich, which they called the uh, Finale da Horm. It was everybody was going nuts, and then we are uh, speaking about a, a, a town like Munich uh, having 1.4, 1.5 million inhabitants, having a well-established, um, you know, uh, public transportation, and everybody yeah. was still going crazy and going nuts. So first of all, um, you know, when there's a lot of light, there's also a lot of darkness, and people literally want to see or want to read um, a little bit of the good but way more of the bad and ugly. And this yeah. is something which you should always take into account, which doesn't change the fact that the, uh, the streets in Malta, regardless of if there's any event, are tiny. So compared to my driving skills in Germany, I wouldn't cope with the, uh, with the uh, you know, small streets here yeah. in, in Malta, except the fact that uh, you're, from my perspective, driving on the wrong side. But <laughs> it, uh, it is like it is. So what about your feeling, Jake? Yeah, I think... Um... <clears throat> There's a saying, isn't there? There's no such thing as, as negative coverage. Um, if you're in the headlines, then that's that's kind of where you want to be, especially if you've got sort of global, you know, aspirations like uh, like Sigma do. But I agree with with Nico. It's, you know, it's it's never easy to put on an event of this size, whether it's a gaming show or you know, if you've got twenty five thousand people turning up anywhere. We've seen you know music festivals collapse uh, with fewer visitors than that. Um, so yeah, there's always going to be kind of logistical you know teething issues i think a good way of combating that maybe is, is first impressions good first impressions um and i saw a couple of very positive comments on on linkedin about the fact there was actually a a kind of sigma greeting at, at the airport this year at multiple yeah. airport for international visitors so uh, i think that's a nice thing to to think about so you don't sort of turn up and and, and wonder what on earth is going on you're, you're kind yeah. of yeah being taken care of uh, straight away i suppose yeah yeah i would say you know 
it's an interesting thing because I was speaking to my head of marketing and he has a different opinion than, than me, but um, the, uh, the traffic issue uh, and the negative PR that, come out of, that came out of that, like the negative tone PR, I think genuinely it is the best possible PR they can possibly get because <coughs> the, um, the way that Eman is promoting the show is the mother of all conferences. Right and and uh, and the fact that his conference broke down the national infrastructure, <laughs> it uh, <coughs> it's not just saying that it's the mother of all conferences. It speaks to the fact that his conference is so big that the infrastructure of the country broke down. Right? Like what what better PR can you get than that? Like that that sets the tone for the monster that this conference is. Right, and uh, it speaks into uh, into this narrative that is being created. You know. So many people coming here, the hotel prices go, it shoots up the roof. Like that to me is also good PR. It's like, again, it speaks to how big and serious the conference is. Uh, infrastructure breaking down, that speaks to how big the conference has gotten. And it all feeds into this narrative that uh, is being created. And uh, Levan Nikogoshan of Afapa, he said it best, I think, uh, to summarize uh, this point. He said, um, you know, a lot of a lot of different opinions on Sigma this year, a lot of like negative comments here and there. But at the end of the day, everyone is coming back next year. And uh, that's a sign of a successful conference. <laughs> that's all you can ask for. You yeah, know? that's fair enough. <laughs> I'd be interested to know yeah. kind of what the locals make of it as well. Because you say every, everyone's aware of it now. Like you can't yeah. not be, if, if, if you live in Malta, and, and yeah, there are obvious you know, downsides in terms of traffic and, and, and congestion. But you know, what, what about um, like the trade and the industry it brings, brings to the island, for example? Like, is it something for hotels restaurants etc to, to get excited about once a year yeah um i mean by and large uh, you know the, uh, the the locals would see it as something very positive uh, here at sigma they all like everyone recognizes that sigma is a massively important uh, event for the local economy and um, uh, it's more that i think the the, the local maltese wants to they 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 get more they don't they get angry at Sigma per se. They get more angry that the infrastructure is not better. <laughs> you know, like the, the politician needs to do a better job to sort out the infrastructure because mm -hmm. it's like this should not happen because of a conference. Let's say, like the, the, you know, we should we need to maintain and improve our infrastructure in order to handle these things. Um, so, uh, so yeah, from that perspective, I think uh, it, the 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 locals are happy with the opportunities that it brings, and a lot of local businesses, of course, are happy with uh, the the extra spend that is uh, taking place during this uh, during these days. Um, but I think uh, Phil Pearson he commented uh, here as well that um, uh, um, just to summarize the week and kind of lead into the to the next topic uh, here today is uh, he, he said as someone with DraftKings stock, uh, this is a good week. Uh, almost as good a week as it is a bad week uh, for even flooring and toilets <laughs> <laughs> always on point uh, mr pearson who by the way finished uh, uh, third place in the poker tournament the other day by high roller so congratulations mm -hmm. to phil and he was very adamant that he was trying his best to uh, uh, to to lose as quick as possible <laughs> and so uh, maybe that is the uh, that's the strategy, strategy. How, how, how did you get on do you guys compete? well, well uh, i i played that tournament i busted really early uh, and then Iden he felt sorry for me uh, so he let me re-entry and play again 
and, uh, and then I busted one more time. So I was the only person who lost twice, uh, Jake, in that <laughs> tournament. Thank you very much for reminding me. Sorry, you should have told me not to bring it up. Off, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. But, but let's, uh, let's segue into, um, into DraftKings, which is, uh, I suppose, the main topic of today. Um, you know, Jake, uh, you talked about this, the fact that um, DraftKings has now overtaken FanDuel as the um, number one uh, online operator in the United States in terms of GDR. Um, DraftKings obviously massively proud of this and, and touted this in, the, in their latest uh, call with investors. Can you talk a little bit more about this story? Uh, why does it matter and why do you think DraftKings have take, overtaken FanDuel finally? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I think obviously the US market is still it still looms large in, in the overall gaming industry. Um, so any headlines over there are kind of headlines globally. And, and if you're the market leader in that market, it's a, a hell of a thing to, to stick on your CV, I think. Um, I think it's massively notable, really, because, you know, only a year ago, probably on this pod, we were hosting weekly news and we were asking the question, you know, is FanDuel's lead unassailable? Like, are they ever going to be beaten, basically? Because it looked like it was... Um, kind of them way out in front and and then uh, a few challenger brands sort of scrapping around for the rest and then it slowly became a duopoly uh, with DraftKings and last month uh, it was uh, Islas and Crychick Gaming that uh, that crowned DraftKings as the uh, the overall US market leader now um, which is quite the transformation in quite a short period of time and I think um, obviously we'll, we'll get on to some of the factors that are, that are kind of driving that um, but if we if we just look at their share, so DraftKings holds now uh, a U.S. online gambling, so that's sports betting and iGaming share, of thirty one percent for GGR, uh, and that's according to to Islas and Crycheck Gaming. And I think we our producer's got a little graphic for you, where you can see the exact uh, exact moment that uh, that DraftKings overtook FanDuel um, for the very first time. Uh, unfortunately, we can't see that in the studio, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean. Pierre, what what do you make of it? Because um, yeah, this this was a huge topic of discussion for us, you know, right throughout the last sort of nine to twelve months, and and, uh, and now we have a new leader. Yeah, I would I would just like to start by saying, you know, on behalf of everyone here at Argument Next, uh, all the people who report and work here, uh, a big uh, ap- uh, apology to uh, to Jason Robbins uh, <laughs> for for. Uh, for being a little bit mean at times, uh, for not believing in uh, the uh, in the very confident uh, uh, Robbins who, who who tweeted um, a year and a half ago that anyone who uh, who sold his uh, DraftKings stock uh, today just to uh, just to remind them that we are working as hard as we can to prove you that this was the worst mistake of your life, and uh, Jason turned out to be very right about that. The stock is up a couple of hundred percent since that time. There's no doubt at this at this point that DraftKings uh, are doing absolutely what they have communicated that they will do. Not only that, but they have actually been conservative in um, um, in their forecasting, and they are they are consistently forecasting uh, um, uh, above what they, what they have promised, uh, um, and they are constantly improving their their forecast. So uh, I would just uh, like to first of all hit myself a bit on the finger here, and uh, Nick, <laughs> if you want to put out your hand as well, uh, here, shame on you. Uh, I'm just going to blame it on uh, uh, on Connor because he's not uh, here, so he, yeah. he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> shame on you, shame on you, Jake. Shame on you, uh, Nico. Shame on myself as well uh, for for doubting uh, Mr. Robin and his uh, and his excellent team because 
DraftKings has gone from absolute strength to strength th this year. The, the, st the stock is up like 250% since the start of the year. Um, they have just been steamrolling the entire market. And I think it's down to probably some quite simple facts, which is, um, you mentioned this before uh, as well, Jake, that um, uh, they, are kind of the, um, they are kind of the only US born and bred uh, organization within the industry today amongst the, um, uh, amongst the incumbents. And they are fully focused on executing the strategy to become the leader in the online uh, gambling space. At the same time, you know, FanDuel, obviously a monster, but uh, owned by Flutter. And, uh, you know, they are part of that massive corporate machine. Um, Caesars, uh, BetMGM obviously have their corporate kind of overlords. Whereas DraftKings is kind of doing their thing, you know, they are, they are, uh, they are founder-led. Jason Robbins founded the company, uh, you know, he's the CEO of the company. He has all the voting rights within the company. So there isn't really that uh, red tape within that organization, I would think. Um, Jason Robbins has built an organization um, in a really, really smart way where he has the operational freedom to take very big and bold decisions and, uh, and, um, and execute a strategy to his own liking. And I think this is a, a huge advantage that, that DraftKings has as they move forward into this very like unpredictable environment. Like this type of industry is not really conducive of a good industry for publicly traded companies that kind of like need to stick to very uh, like particular and strict um, strategies in a predictable environment. Um, but it's much more suitable for uh, organizations like DraftKings, albeit they are publicly traded, but Jason Robbins has all the voting rights in the, in the organization. He doesn't really have to worry about defending his position in the company. He can only focus on executing and building a long-term value in this uh, organization. I think we are starting to see the, the result of this. And just a final point as well. I think the, there was an assumption um, two years ago that uh, the team of uh, FanDuel uh, and the product of FanDuel was much better than, than DraftKings. They had a lot more experience, you know, from the European side and a lot more years of, of uh, building excellent product. Um, however, it seems to me that, uh, that again, uh, DraftKings uh, are learning and they are improving as they go. And um, they are perhaps better exec at executing at this point than FanDuel. And as I'm assuming that this is what we're seeing now, considering that DraftKings is stealing market share left, right and center from, from FanDuel. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, just to add to that, I think it's been kind of the perfect landscape for, for DraftKings, if if you like. Um, as you point out, you know, Flutter, which owns FanDuel, has a million other markets to, to operate in, a million other brands to, to worry about. They even had a second US brand until recently with Foxbet, which was basically a, a distraction. Um, whereas DraftKings doesn't have any of that, doesn't have any international concerns, really. Um, and also, crucially, it has no sort of land-based casino no. operations that are a priority, for, um, which is what we've seen for a lot of their competitors. You think, you know, MGM, uh, the land-based is, is still is still obviously number one. We've seen kind of Win and Bally's ha have a have a punter online, and and, and that suffered. Um, whereas DraftKings has this clear focus, where where its only only priority really is online sports betting and, and gaming. Um, I think the other thing that's really contributed to that is the fact that we've not really seen any kind of state 
legislation moving over the last sort of six to ten months it's kind of um leveled out slightly and that means they haven't got to spend you know millions on marketing and in, in for new state launches or acquiring new customers or getting their brand out there or whatever it's kind of a a, a closed book now so they know exactly what markets that they're going to be in um and and then the third part of that i think is like like i've said we, we've seen other operators pull back so basically they can't afford it they can't afford to do land-based and online um, they're spending too much on marketing uh, they can't justify it to investors whereas this is DraftKings story this is their bread and butter and and, and all those things I think have combined to make it a kind of perfect operating environment for them yeah and and um, something else that came out now during that I found exceptionally interesting as, as an investor myself in, in DraftKings is you know where is this all going to go you know like so so yeah we are looking at profitability full year profitability next year uh, but at the end of the day, investors want to know how profitable is the company going to get in order to understand better like, where do you value the company right now. It's so difficult. This has always been the tricky thing with DraftKings. It's like, where do you put the valuation on this company? And um, they, they talked right about uh, the guidance, uh, the EBITDA guidance for the next couple of years. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit more there? Like, what, 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 what is DraftKings expecting in terms of EBITDA in the next uh, five years? Sure. So um, it was DraftKings Investor Day uh, this week, which is uh, always great because it basically is when executives come out and be very transparent about future plans for the company. And Jason Robbins basically revealed a forecast of uh, adjusted EBITDA of 1.4 billion uh, in 2026, uh, rising to 2.1 billion in uh, in 2028. Um, but I think the most interesting thing from a from a shareholder's perspective, Pierre was that um, those figures are based on just being operational in the states that are, they're live in today. So, you know, sometimes investors think DraftKings sort of future outlook is, is based heavily on whether we're going to see California regulate or Florida or additional US states. And Jason Robbins has kind of come out and said, actually, we don't need any of that anymore. <laughs> you know, we, we, we can get to those really high targets um, with, with the share of the pie we've got now. Um, and there was one figure that stood out to me. So DraftKings previously thought that 65% of the US population would require access to sports betting for the company to achieve uh, EBITDA of 2.1 billion, as well as 30% of the population to have access to iGaming. Uh, obviously, we're we're sort of nowhere near that now, certainly in terms of iGaming. Um, I'm not sure what the exact figures are, but they've still guided to 2.1 billion in, in yeah, 2028. Yeah. So... Yeah, super, super bullish uh, presentation from yeah. uh, from Jason Robbins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's th let's think a bit about this for a moment because if the assumption is correct uh, from Jason Robbins that um, with thirty percent market share uh, by twenty twenty eight um, they would make two point one billion dollars uh, in EBITDA uh, without any state launches, uh, without any expansion whatsoever. Just basically how the landscape looks like today. Uh, they are reaching 2.1 billion dollar um, EBITDA. That means, you know, if they manage to show that growth, um, I don't know what the exact what what the right PE ratio of a of a company that is growing that much is, but I would imagine I, I would imagine that you'd 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 price that at like a 30 times the the, the PE, something like that. Um, so th so that would mean that there is like um, so so with with a market cap of 17 billion today. Uh, that means that we'll we'll have like a 
300, like 3.5 times upside to what the share price is today. That's what they are saying essentially. So if this, if if that EBITDA comes true by 2028, the share price to, should be uh, around 3.5 times uh, higher than what it is today. So that that is essentially the kind of underlying upside that uh, Jason Roberts is talking about here. However, that does not include again what you mentioned, Jake. What if they finally make an acquisition and, and expand internationally. You know, the rumor mill is saying that uh, 888 is a potential target, right? And Tain is quite low valuate, valuated at around like seven or eight billion. It's like one third of, of Dropkins today. Um, could, could make sense eventually. They have obviously tried before and looked at that company. And what if more states open up? Uh, this is also not included in, 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 in this forecasting. And, and what is also not included is the fact that today they enjoy like a 37% market share. And this uh, 2.1 billion euro EBITDA calculation is based on a 30% market share. So even if they uh, decrease in market share from 37% to 30%, they are still hitting this 2.1 billion. So there's so many ways that, that uh, if the underlying calculation is correct and the assumption that 30% market share in 2028 will lead to 2.1 billion, um, EBITDA, then um, there's so man, many other upsides <laughs> that can increase uh, the opportunities for, for DraftKings to reach even higher. And that's really surprising to me because look at the biggest international uh, gambling company today, Flutter. Um, you know, they have global dominance in many markets, active all over the world, and they are still only generating um, slightly more than 1 billion, well, I'd say only. I, uh, slightly more than one billion um, pound in EBITDA, uh, right? And so, so Dropkins is talking about generating almost twice of that um, only with the states that they are alive in at the moment. That speaks volumes of how huge this <laughs> opportunity is, what they have just now, let alone how much they can expand as well in the future. Yeah, yeah I think we're going to talk about um, ESPN but in, in a minute, Nico. But what, ju just to touch on what you said, Pierre, obviously that, that is all things that that could um, could raise the bar even higher for DraftKings, but those are also the things that bring uncertainty, right? So that, that you know they could bring unseen headwinds, un unseen headwinds with them. We, we've seen how expensive new state launches are. If one of the big guys suddenly decides to to regulate, that's going to cost an absolute fortune. Um, you mentioned M and A. DraftKings has been a little bit coy about having global aspirations but i think that's definitely on the agenda for them maybe an acquisition we know they looked at 888 again though that's a huge distraction another big tech integration could they potentially take their eye off the ball if if, if something like that was to occur um and then i mentioned espn because the other big thing is increased competition like, like yes. i said it's been a, a perfect environment for them where we've actually seen competitors pull back on spend um but if one of the big guys espn fanatics decides to uh decides to throw a bunch of money at this, it's going to make things a lot more complicated for, for DraftKings. Um, and yeah, I'll go back to it. Like this was the exact right time for DraftKings to do this investor day. Um, share price was what, $11, I think per share in January, yeah, up to yeah, like yeah. $35 or something now. Yep. They just beat all the forecasts of their Q3 results. Um, they've got a new new product to unveil. So it's very much like everything's going our way, you know? Um, 
a lot can happen in a year. As like last year, we were saying, oh, yep. look at DraftKings, they're never going to catch FanDuel. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens on this uh, on this pod this time next year. But <laughs> Nico, what, what do you make of the um, the potential for a kind of influx of, uh, of competition? Because uh, obviously this week saw ESPN bet go live as well. Yeah, so first of all, touching down on what you just said, uh, with the perfect timing, first of all, uh, you know, they just sliced and diced it in a perfect way as ESPN just launched on the 14th of, uh, of November. They had their investor meeting on the 15th, so for sure. Oh, we did right. not see any numbers flying in from, uh, from ESPN bet. And uh, I'd just like to quote and uh, once again shout out to him, Daniel Gretzer, yeah. uh, why DraftKings and FanDuel have such quite unique uh, position in the US market because they have an underlying DFS up and running so they are looking at okay we have a significant user basis already it's just our game to convert this user basis into active punters which they did quite well in ontario if i'm not mistaken they converted 65 uh, around 70 percent of their existing user bases to become active punters and this is the game they are facing and this is a you know dfs game of FanDuel and DraftKings. as of now they are uh, literally you know on going toe-to-toe within an eyesight and uh, when we were speaking about DraftKings and if they will recover etc I was still thinking that uh, they are a target for Disney uh, being acquired as their market cap was around six six point five billion way uh, below their um, their heights uh, which was around 60 uh, uh, sorry 30 35 billion uh, so it could have been a potential target as um, very established brand uh, great and positive uh, you know um, <clears throat> overall site with the DFS and as said as of now we're speaking about 31 33 states where sports betting is allowed uh, within the last 12 months probably just uh, two or three states uh, have launched with Ontario with Maine uh, where we see the first uh, first numbers and as uh, said and just to round this up a little bit as of now uh, we will see uh, competitors entering the markets like ESPN like Fanatics who also have a big and loyal user bases and then we will see if the duopole will uh, will will shrink a little bit if we see someone going toe to toe with them, because as of now, and that's the quite unique situation of the overall U.S. market, um, the affiliate game doesn't work in that market. We've seen it in New York uh, when Caesars and BetMGM were coming up with this crazy deposit bonuses uh, within the thousands, so they were literally burning a lot of money. But the loyal customers, first of all took the bonus and then signed up with their uh, FanDuel and DraftKings um, um, offerings as, as well. And I'm pretty sure that this game will change as soon as we see um, um, ESPN and uh, Fanatics entering this game, yeah. because uh, especially for Fanatics, we're speaking about a customer database which uh, holds more than 100 million customers. And if they can convert these customers right, yeah. as said, gambling customers are quite loyal customers. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I want to also just mention that we, we talk about like potential increased uh, competition to DraftKings and FanDuel from the obvious uh, newcomers, uh, the Fanatics and the ESPN bets, and I would throw Bet365 in there as well. Um, but I think where we should also be looking at is the increased competition from these alternative products uh, that are entering the market as well. Um, 
sweepstakes has been flying under the radar for quite a few years with uh, with the sweepstakes operator Chamba kind of owning most of the markets and they kind of had a lot of proprietary knowledge in how to operate a sweepstakes a casino. That proprietary knowledge is now uh, unknown, uh, not a secret anymore. And uh, more and more sweepstakes operators are, are springing to life. And this is a massive um, vertical within the industry that is generating a lot, a lot, a lot of GDR that we would never know how, how big that vertical is. It's, it's very hard to tell other than that many of the Swissbase operators are very, very affluent, basically operating completely outside of regulation, uh, as long as they stay within the sweepstakes uh, rules and so on, of course. Um, but uh, and another, uh, another vertical, of course, is the, the DFS uh, um, products that are more fine, like dipping their toes in a fine line between sports betting and DFS. And we are seeing some like legal kind of challenges bring into life here against the likes of underdog and and uh, and better and so on who are who are like dabbling a little bit uh, there i don't know if um, can you maybe talk a little bit more about those stories perhaps that Jake? like what is it that is going on in the dfs landscape uh, at, at the moment yeah um it's a good point to make i think because DraftKings definitely does see those th those companies as as competitors um you mentioned underdog there's also prize picks that are sort of becoming increasingly popular with uh with, with sports consumers um without necessarily being regulated as, as real money gambling um and it's it's funny you should mention that because DraftKings has just unveiled a product called uh, progressive parlays which basically allows customers to kind of win on uh, on parlays or accumulators even if not all of their bet selections come in um, and a few people on Twitter were quick to point out that that's very similar to the types of products that are being offered by, by those uh, by those challenges you mentioned, the underdogs of this world. Um, and and Jason Robbins has been asked about this, and and instead of naming companies, he he's just brushed them all, uh, tarnished them all with the same brush, and has said, and any clampdown on illegal gambling is good for us. Um, and we've seen state regulators. In quite a few significant states, actually, um, look to clamp down on on kind of pick em, these Pickham DFS operators, um, and that seems to be a, a continuing trend. And I'm not sure whether there's, you know, they're basically at loggerheads. These companies, like uh, yeah. Jeremy Levine, I think it is from Underdog, has been quite vocal about this on on Twitter and about the fact it's, uh, you know, a bit of a witch hunt from from the bigger sports betting operators. Um, I also think you can flip that on its head, though. I think DraftKings potentially has fallen down in the past by trying to get stuck into verticals that aren't, you know, it, it shouldn't have. Um, my my favourite bit of commentary on this whole topic comes from Islas and Crycheck Gaming, and, and they touch on that. They say, uh, DraftKings' ability to reel in FanDuel using more than just brute force spending speaks to a company that is now stepping away from squishy narratives uh, like <laughs> NFTs and like media uh, and instead is harnessing the power of more focused, disciplined execution. And, and I think that's exactly what we've seen. So, yeah, I, I don't think DraftKings should be thinking about its competitors at, at this point. Um, yeah, and should just be uh, yeah, yeah. continuing as it has done. I love the uh, the investment case. You know, like in in hi hindsight, is twenty twenty, of course. But you know, roll back the tape two years, like two very short years, and the investment case for DraftKings was like, uh, no, no, you shouldn't look at the uh, 
at the current valuation of DraftKings of based on their opportunities in the sports betting and online gambling uh, landscape. You should look at the opportunities outside of this landscape. For example, uh, the NFT, uh, the NFT platform that they're investing in, and other emerging technologies. So there was a point there, at, at some point two years ago, where uh, the hope of DraftKings was not that they were going to be a online gambling company only, but they were going to that was going to be one of like four verticals, for example, with with uh, yeah. all with the same size. You know, like talk about talk about a big change in just a couple of years in in, in tone. No one talks about anything else now than uh, online online sports betting on the gambling side. That's for sure. Yeah, it's paid dividends, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And rolling the tape just a little bit um, more into the past. You know, I was attending the Web Summit in 2015. You know, when the FanDuels and the DraftKings were um, heavily expected just to attending like our, um, uh, you know, exhibitions like the Ice, etc. And they always kind of made, if they made, they made a late, very late, late, late exp um, appearance. So back in 2015, uh, he was announcing, so Nigel Eccles, uh, he was the CEO of uh, FanDuel during that time. So he was uh, one of the main speakers on the on the on the main floor at uh, at the Web Summit in Dublin, and he just announced, "Yeah, you know, we just closed a funding round of, if I'm not mistaken, 400 million." And two weeks later, you know, the state attorney of New York filed um, an, uh, um, a, a file against and a lawsuit against him. Okay, you are actually gaming. It's not DFS. It's not kind of some. Uh, funky bunch you are gaming and this is what they've always been afraid of losing their status um, as a dfs and then out of a sudden you know the um first of all as you don't hold a license it's illegal operations and as you already mentioned uh, when he just slapped each and everything down uh, you know they have been in the same seat and within the same shoes as well back in the days in 2015 so obviously history repeats itself and as of now they're in the leading position yeah. but it will never get boring <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> do we do we know anything yet uh, jake by any chance like uh, the the launch of fanatics and uh, I, I think like one way to track uh, success uh, is um, the app downloads for example i remember looking at this like recently and it didn't seem to me that they had eaten up that much of the total like app download kind of cake i don't know if you know by heart kind of approximately where they are or like if we have any indication of fanatics so far yeah not, not off the top of my head i think Oilers will obviously have that data mm. but um they've not launched in many states oh. like they, they first went live with it with a retail sports book yeah. um and, and then their their app came later i think but I don't, I don't think they're in more than one or two states i might be mistaken but yeah. that that'll be why it's certainly not a a kind of nationwide rollout by any means um yeah, exactly. Because it's interesting, I think, to me, I, I would love to now start comparing ESPN bet with Fanatics in terms of app downloads. And obviously, uh, the, the, the lagging indicator will be the DDR, you know, how that builds up over time and so on. Uh, but like the direct measure that we can see now is like, uh, of course, the the app downloads uh, in the various states there. Yeah. It'd be interesting to to look that up at some point. I think Eilish uh, uh, certainly tracked that uh, for sure. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be good to look at that. Let's follow up on that perhaps uh, yeah. next week and see. Because I might be um, I might be wrong about that because obviously they've bought the uh, the points bet um, yeah. US business so so have likely launched in the states wherever points bet was live. So um, yeah, I'll have to come back. Yeah, the, the 16th of August they launched uh, four states. Four states. Uh, yeah, four states they launched uh, in, in in total there. Um, but yeah, so but uh, what expectations do we have on ESPN better than specifically? Is there anything that comes to mind? Any any thoughts on that front? Um, 
Well, I expect them to throw a lot of money at sports betters um, this week. (laughs) (laughs) Just to go through a few of their um, sort of sign-up offers that they've launched with. So um, you can bet anything and get a $250 uh, in bonus bets. Um, And that's for as little as kind of a a $1 bet. Um, You can also get a $1,000 deposit match, which is available until uh, the 31st of December. Um, ESPN bet. You asked about their aims. They're they're targeting a twenty percent share of the U.S. sports betting market overall, yeah. um, and and they're aiming for kind of between five hundred million and and one billion mm. in a long term EBITDA for Penn's sort of online division, which obviously includes um, ESPN. But I don't know how long term that is. We're talking, mind. Um, yeah, but that's interesting. With uh, so so, ESPN better saying they are gunning for a twenty percent. Twenty percent. And the EBITDA five hundred uh, million to one billion, um, whilst uh, DraftKings are talking about a thirty percent market share with a two point one billion dollar market. So, so, so either, uh, either one of the calculations are uh, not correct, let's say, or like calculated a bit differently, mm-hmm. or uh, DraftKings is saying that they're just going to become a lot more efficient. Uh, uh, I suppose. Yeah. So it's uh, interesting to analyze because. Companies are thinking differently on the uh, on the total market uh, uh, opportunity here. Yeah, uh, just just to just to go back to DraftKings because I think there's one thing that we might be missing here, which is really significant, and that is uh, their acquisition of Golden Nugget. Because for sports betting, FanDuel and DraftKings are really close, like neck and neck on both share and product and everything. I think iGaming is where. DraftKings is building up a bit of a lead. Obviously, there's only, I think, six states with, with iGaming at the moment, but DraftKings' GGR share is 27%, um, whereas FanDuel's is uh, is 23%. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that's huge for them because ESPN bet, like, that's obviously going to be sports betting pr- primarily. Um, in, in fact, they're actually launching iGaming under a different brand, um, they're launching under Penn's Hollywood Casino brand, so it's going to oh. have no affiliation with with, uh, with ESPN at all. Um, uh, that's a good. Well, that's a very good point. So when they talk about five hundred to one million uh, dollar EBITDA and twenty percent market share, they talk about uh, sports betting specifically. Um, for the market share, yeah. yeah. For, for the EBITDA, that's the Penn Interactive. Thing. So that's that's yeah. both okay. brands. That's right. ESPN okay. and um, and Hollywood uh, Casino. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that ESPN is uh, by far the most popular sports media brand in the entire US, and uh, I think they have 200 million monthly unique mm. uh, viewers across their channels. And Sim- from, similar to Next.io, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. the, we are not Americans. So. <laughs> um, but I think they're gonna, you know, really, really hit those integrations hard. Like I think their their Twitter account's already br- rebranded to ESPN Bet. Um, we're gonna see. Um, you know, dedicated betting shows on primetime sports broadcasts, all, all that kind of thing that, to be fair, FanDuel does t- to a degree at the moment. But, um, yeah, ESPN went live this week, Nico. Uh, 17 states, uh, one more than, than was initially announced in August. Um, but what what it gets to me about this is just how expensive it is. I, I forgot how expensive the original deal was. So it's a 10-year agreement, which is worth $2 billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and Penn is basically paying ESPN 150 million annually for the next 10 years, and that's just just to use its brand. Yeah. Like ESPN mm. doesn't have to really do any of the heavy lifting yeah. in this regard. 
Uh, and that's in addition to $500 million of Penn shares yeah. as well. Um, but crucially, there's this sort of three-year cut-off point where if the market share doesn't reach those aims as forecast, uh, both parties basically reserve the right to, to terminate the agreement, um, which would be a complete disaster for, for yeah. Penn. You know, you think they've had two goes at it then. Uh, exactly. they, they bought Barstool for 700, 800 million and sold it for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, if that were to happen again, then yeah, that would be that would be disastrous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts here on the on your side, Nico? Um, we're going to last topic. Just, just, just uh, because I was reminded there was a there was a guy, US uh, analyst, who actually you know uh, published um, uh, data about app downloads, um, and I just uh, I just looked it up. So um, Bet three six five, which we uh, which you mentioned, uh, Pierre, Pierre as well. So they had been. Uh, it's enough to make Bet365 the fourth most downloaded app according to AppTweak. Yeah. And they came up uh, overall in the US with 145 downloads just in October. So, so uh, 145,000 downloads. Yeah, 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 that's better. Yeah, 145,000 uh, downloads. Um, the pack was, uh, was leaded by FanDuel, DraftKings, and BetMGM. And uh, Fanatics came in sixth. Sixth place, yeah. Yeah, right. So the nice. first month they were launching, uh, they were sixth. So yeah. um, this, this still underlies like, okay, uh, it's all about the product. And the, it seems like the product of DraftKings and, uh, and FanDuel yeah. is, is, is still leading. So Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. and this is, this is like kind of like now and ever, like how important is the brand versus uh, the product and, the, the, uh, uh, and uh, how far can just the brand alone carry? Uh, carry you in this uh, in this industry. Now we will be see be seeing that from two different perspectives. Fanatics, established uh, brand with brick and mortar presence, uh, and uh, ESPN bet with a massive reach. You know, and, and the established and trusted brand and so on. So it'll be interesting to follow as we go forward. Um, last topic of today. Um, we'll touch on this briefly. Uh, New York, congratulations! Uh, first month of two billion dollar in GDR. Uh, broke the all time high. Uh, the state is um, is clearly generating more and more revenue on a year-to-year basis. Um, Jake, can you talk about this story? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, New York is obviously a state everybody loves to, to look at. Um, and I think it's significant because FanDuel is still the leader in this state. So, so despite losing that kind of national crown to DraftKings, um, FanDuel is still very much the standout leader in, in New York. So there's only eight operators licensed uh, in New York. Um, and I think we've got uh, a graphic, um, a pie chart to show you, which is kind of a GGR breakdown of, of those eight operators. And you've got FanDuel on uh, pretty pretty much 50% at 81, uh, 83.1 million GGR for the month of October. DraftKings is next on about 35, 36%, 59.3 million. Um, then you drop all the way down to Caesars at about six percent, uh, and then, and then BetMGM on four percent, and then the rest are kind of, yeah, below below one percent. Um, so it's an interesting market, in New York, because obviously there's only eight licenses. It's um, it, it's unusual um, for a U.S. state, and some have basically just had to pull out entirely, like. Um, uh, they've just decided it's too expensive. Um, I know Bally's has uh, 
has kind of taken its app offline while it transitions onto a, a Canby sportsbook. Um, but you've got like companies like Resorts World Bet, for example, which made $894,000 in GGR in October. And you just think, you know. Uh, Are you okay? <laughs> you okay, mate? Yeah. But Nico, I know you um, you keep quite a close eye on, on New York. Um, what what did you make of the kind of October fi uh, figures and the, uh, the bigger picture there? Yeah, so it was quite interesting, especially if you just um, take a look. Okay, um, with an underlying um, handle of two billion, the um, which is an upside of of, of the last month of seventeen point six percent compared to September. Um, so the revenue, which actually you know stays at the operators was 166.3 million mm -hmm. so with a with a with a um with, with a handle of uh, two billion you just generate just generate a revenue of 166.3 and with a taxation rate of 51 percent you know the <laughs> highest gainer of this revenue is the state of new york yeah. so while you're operating while you make each and everything happen ha happening and make the customers happy uh, you know, the state of New York is like, okay, so 51% of this is ours. And uh, this just emphasizes how crazy the market actually is and why yep. there are only um, eight license holders, um, especially targeting the market. And it's also interesting that according to the discussion we just had that uh, DraftKings surpassed um, FanDuel, this doesn't apply to the state of New York as the overall handle was uh, roughly 45% dealt by FanDuel, while 33%, uh, roughly 33%, was from DraftKings. So there you see it's a, uh, it's a pretty, pretty interesting race of these two um, highly competitive uh, companies. And if DraftKings might be leading in other uh, states, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it will be close just between the two of those. And um, I'm pretty sure as this is just, you know, we're, we're seeing September, we're seeing October numbers. It will be interesting, the numbers uh, where each and everybody uh, from the sports betting world in the U.S. is so, um, or luckily looking, looking forward to, it's the NCAA championship as soon as it comes to college basketball. Because this is where you, where you will top each and everything which, you, which you've already seen within the, uh, within the last last year when it comes to handles so i'm pretty sure we did not see um we did not see the end of this and i'm thrilled to just see where this might take us yeah i think obviously we talked about espn and, and fanatics as well but like let's consider new york is, is a locked market effectively so DraftKings and 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 Fangio are already there whereas those other guys doesn't look like they're going to be able to enter anytime soon i know um joseph Adabo, the senator, yeah. he, he kind of spoke previously at our show about maybe expanding the market, but I don't think there's been any movement on that. And, and New York looks a lot more interested in its uh, land-based casino than it does uh, in, in sort of extending online sports betting licenses. Um, so, yeah, there's that to consider as well in that in that kind of yeah. competition. I, I think what's gonna what's most likely going to happen from here is uh, there's, there's going to be a lobbying effort to lower the tax, I yeah. think. Uh, and uh, that's also like a bit the buzz around the conference uh, last year is that uh, uh, the senator is being kind of pressured a little bit to uh, consider a lower a lower tax than the 51%. I think it's going to um, 
it's going to be quite obvious as we go forward that it's that is quite unsustainable with the fifty one percent tax rate long term. And I think this is what the operators are banking on as well. That um, they are probably quite happy, um, say the likes of DropKings and others, that we were able to like ring fence the market around these just few operators, uh, make it really difficult, make it really dirty and 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 expensive to operate in this market, and then later on uh, lower the tax rates. And then you can reap the rewards back, of course, for, uh, for, for, for navigating through this difficult landscape. I think this is kind of like a little bit the strategy that uh, the operators are looking at. Look at uh, the um, proposed legislation in California, for example. What was it, like a $100 million barrier to entry, mm. right? Proposed by the operators, <laughs> not, not by the, like, any, any state legislator, by the operators proposed $100 million. That's the barrier to entry that they want to set in order to uh, be able to kind of secure their oligopoly uh, in, in that market, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want a hundred operators um, competing against them. They only want this to be a market for them, you know? Uh, so, so I think we'll see something similar in New York uh, happening eventually as well. Yeah, where, you know. that's interesting. J just to bring this sort of full circle and in terms of the investment case as well, we spoke about um, DraftKings being the only US online pure play operator. Um, but what we're going to see from from Q1 next year is Flutter listing in uh, in the US mm. for the very first time. Yep. Um, it's it's chosen the New York Stock Exchange to to list some of its uh, um, a kind of dual listing of its shares as well as in London. So maybe US investors will uh, will, will will be more attuned to the company um, now that it's it's sort of live on the uh, on the New York stock market as well. Yep, absolutely. Any final points today, gentlemen? Yeah, just an interesting fact, you know, as soon as uh, speaking about uh, New York, New York in uh, particular, you know, each and everybody also eyes on the what's happening on the casino side, you know, with the 3.5 billion uh, rock nation investment on the casino, which might happen on uh, Times Square, Las Vegas Sands. Uh, their kind of casino in uh, uh, in Nassau is now in, in jeopardy. They are talking about 5 billion construction. So it will be interesting, uh, as said, as soon as uh, the overall gaming actually touches down in, in, in New York, in the city that obviously never sleeps, especially not during the iGaming next times and, uh, you know, when we're doing the event there as well. Um, so for sure, it will be, will be just interesting. And uh, they are speaking real deal and big numbers. So it uh, doesn't get boring around there. Nico, Jake, will you join me for a pina colada at the uh, Evolution closing party at Aki tonight at uh, Imboleta? Perhaps? Definitely. That's yeah. why I flew all the way here. <laughs> Amazing, guys. Great to have you guys here live and in person. Always good to speak to you guys. <coughs> and uh, thank you so much for today. Thanks uh, for everyone tuning in. One I'll more think. thing. Yes. One more thing. One more thing. Because I had an had a, um, interesting dis discussion with... Uh, David Flynn uh, as well during the conference as as well because he was uh, literally riding his bike from Sweden down to Malta not because he wasn't aware there are no flights available because he just wanted to you know um, raise uh, awareness of uh, mental health is uh, issues etc so um, and the discussion I had with uh, with David was like okay it's not enough to just you know as soon as someone just set up, uh, sets up a GoFundMe uh, campaign just you know putting some money um, in there it's uh, in the end it's uh, up to all of us just to you know sometimes just ring up a friend and uh, having no agenda and just asking him how he is 
So this is just something I don't want to. I just want to put out there. Just uh, you know, mental health um, isn't is a thing which we um, can all cater for our friends. And then, yeah, what was the last time you just rang up a friend? And uh, if this is, uh, you know, time has passed more than one month, just give one of your friends a call and just ask him how he is. I'm pretty sure that's uh, worth uh, worth some time spent. I think that's an excellent way to uh, to round things off today. And uh, Nico, I think it's a good pitch to uh, to to get some more calls inbound to yourself uh, as well. Uh, hopefully, a lot of people will contact you now, and you'll 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 have a lot of new people to speak to uh, here in the coming days. Uh, so everyone, feel free to contact uh, Nico if you don't have any particularly close friends to speak to as well. But jokes aside, very important issue, of course. Uh, let's uh, all stay stay happy and healthy. Thank you so much, guys. Let's have a, let's go have a pina colada. Yeah. Alright, let's do it. Thanks for watching everyone. Thank you everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks to Coming close to me, flow is on the topic. I'm starting fires through poetry. The heart's out, staying loyal, no falling out. And if you step into the court, be ready, we balling out. Yeah. Oh. I gotta go.